Thanks be to God, and thank you, Megan, for reading. Uh, we're going to uh, have a, a quick Place to Gather update here. So uh, let's start our uh, Place to Gather update with a nice drive into the campus as if we were heading into Sunday worship service. Uh, there will be two entrances to Place to Gather. This one is from the Siege Flag side. On your right, there'll be a pedestrian path and sidewalk. Once that is in, um, we'll be able to start landscaping the front of the project. Uh, the leg of the pass that crosses the road at this bend provides walkers access to the playground and community center. Next week, we'll begin pouring curb and gutter, so it'll be easier to tell where the roads and parking lots are. Uh, the, this gravel area that we're driving on includes paved road as well as uh, playground parking on the left. Rounding the final bend, the church is in front of us. Thank you for driving with me. Let's take a quick look inside. What you're seeing as you enter the lobby doors uh, are doors to the beautiful sanctuary. As you look to the right, you'll be seeing uh, more lobby space and a play wall for kids next to the entrance of their classrooms. And then finally, perhaps my favorite room in the church, the chapel and uh, slash adult ed. As most of you know, LifeSpring is building a place to gather to bless the neighborhood schools and family in the Richmond, Spring Grove and, and uh, surrounding areas. This is the reason that we're putting this infrastructure in. Uh, we want this to be a place to gather for the entire community with the church at the center of it. And we believe that God has been opening doors for this to happen. So I want to thank all who have volunteered and worked on this project. And praise be to God. Would you bow your heads with me? Um, Father in heaven, you who are above all things, we ask that you show us your glory. You food to eat. In this, we receive it as such. Let us use it well. We're struggling in things, work, hobbies, but you know what we need. And with Moses, we cry out to you, show us your glory. We want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the participation of his sufferings, and be, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Father, your son Jesus is the greatest gift of all. As Jesus suffered, we might expect to suffer and have difficulty, but we know in whom we have believed and trust that through him we are strengthened and have hope for the day that will come. Therefore, our hearts can be glad even in the midst of trials. We pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will bring revival to our land. We confess that we live in a community, a country, and a world that desperately needs you. Through the Spirit of Jesus, we pray that you restore our hearts to yourself and heal our land. Let all the earth experience your glory. And then, God, we want to pray for the family of this elderly man, Glenn, who was killed by a garbage truck this last week. We pray that you would bring them comfort in this time of sorrow. I also want to lift up a Lakeland Church, our mother church um, in Gurney. Pray that their congregation would grow in love for you. Now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts through the Spirit of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our Hebrew series, Christ is Better, and we are exploring Hebrews 11, where we learn about, um, from the example of faithful saints of the past. So last week we spoke on Abraham, and this week we're on Moses, who was a faithful servant in God's household. By the way, the book of Hebrews is a New Testament book that helps us to better understand the Old Testament book. 
So there's chapters and chapters and books of the Bible that relate to Moses, but if you want to know some things about Moses, there's sort of a condensed version here in Hebrews. So we said Moses is faithful over the house of God. What is the house of God? Is it a people or a place? What do you guys think? People? Is everybody people? Anybody for place? Actually, in Scripture, it is both. Um, It is definitely a people and a place. Um, Scripture describes the house of God as a place and a people. The house of God appears at in a place called Bethel, which is house of God, Beit El, uh, Shiloh and Jerusalem. From the base of Mount Sinai, the house of God becomes a tent going uh, with the people of God wherever he led them. And this holy place was on the move. It wasn't constrained by geography, sort of a movable house of God. And yet God's house is also described as a people who are the building blocks of God's household. More often, this is the description in the Uh, New Testament. Christ is the cornerstone. We are the house of God if we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory, and God is the architect and builder of his house. So a place and a people. And what's special about the house of God is it is the house of God. It is the place where God dwells. God dwells amongst his people, but we live material lives in geography, and God is there. So Hebrews 3 describes most people, more about what we're primarily talking about when we speak of the how this uh, quiz. We went through Hebrews 3 like months and months ago, and so this is an identical quiz to what we, we brought up at that time. So what do we know about Moses? And tell me which of these are true. So first one is Moses' name means drawn from water. True or false? True. Very good. You can be louder than that. Um, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. True. Very good. Moses was from the line of David. False. Good. You guys are batting a thousand so far. Uh, Moses lived to be 120. True. And Moses led his people into the promised land. False. You guys got it. I tricked you last time. Moses never quite made it into the promised land. Yeah, very good. So of all the big names in the Old Testament, apart from Abraham, Moses towers among others in scriptures, in Old Testament scriptures, and the same is true in the book of Hebrews. Through Moses, God delivers the Israelites from the Egyptians. He gives them the law and sacrificial system at Sinai. He leads them into the promised land or right up to it. Uh, Moses' story becomes foundational for the rest of Scripture. And Moses was an Israelite raised in Pharaoh's household. He was a fugitive, a shepherd, a rescuer, a leader, a judge, and perhaps the greatest servant of God ever. Now, our text today gives us seven truths about God's household. Now, I know normally I don't go for seven, and it's kind of a little, uh, a few more points than normally I, I, I bring up here, and I'm not expecting you to remember everything, and also I, I won't go like twice as long or anything, so don't worry. Um, but uh, our text does give us seven truths about living in God's house. If you're interested in living in God's house, you should be interested in these seven truths. Um, We're going to walk through these, but as we walk through them, this is something I would definitely want you to remember. First, faith gives 
courage to persevere when we have our eyes on the right treasure. Faith gives courage to persevere when we have our eyes on the right treasure. And second of all, the life of faith is the only life that pleases God. Or more colloquially, there ain't no pleasing God without faith. So, seven truths about living in God's house. The first one has to do with courage. The second, treasure. The third, perseverance. The fourth, blood. Fifth, providence. Six, victory. And seven, redemption. And if you'll notice, courage, the treasure, perseverance, have a little bit more to do with us. Uh, And as we go into uh, blood, providence, victory, and redemption, a little bit more to do with God. But this this is definitely ways that we should live, things that we should believe, ways that we should trust God. And I believe this will be helpful, very helpful for us today. In fact, it's meant to be. Hebrews 11 is all about examples of faith. One of the wonderful things about Scripture is it shows all the blemishes of the characters in it. Moses was a guy that with plenty of blemishes on him, but he's still held up as a faithful man of God. You and I can be faithful even though we've got issues. We've got blemishes. Let's talk about courage. Uh, Our passage begins with Moses' parents hiding him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So just an initial observation, like Abraham, Moses' name becomes a catch-all for other people who are in his story. And so the first people in Moses' story, they're not talking about Moses' actions so much, but the actions of his parents. And if we Uh, go back to the initial story, what had happened is the people that had gone to the land of Egypt, um, the the 12 uh, tribes of Jacob, who went into the land of Egypt under Joseph, that 400 years had passed, and there's a whole new reign of pharaohs, and people had been enslaved in Egypt, and so uh, they had they had multiplied in the land of Goshen. They had become more and more of them, and so the Pharaoh was concerned that there were too many of them, and, and put down an edict that uh, every male child of Israelites shall be killed. We got we got a solution for this. Now, if you were you, I mean, any of us are parents. Um, so if you're thinking about uh, that in terms of your child being killed. Um, and you see uh, the parents, because he was no ordinary child, were not afraid of the king's edict. Should they be? I mean, think about this. If the government right now told us that, you know, you know if you have a male child, you have to kill that child or, or let him be killed, um, we'd, we, would, uh, we would all... Uh, the people, the fate of their family in his hands. And so if you were not, if you were going to disregard the Pharaoh's edict, your whole family's lives could be on the line. So this is, this is something um, that should probably provoke fear and, uh, and probably did make some parents think about, you know, what, what are we going to do here? What will happen if we disregard? I mean, are all of us going to be killed in this, in this household? So it's, it's, it's a serious thing. Now, uh, it says that um, the, the Parents saw that he was no ordinary child. If you have a different version than the NIV, it might say that he was a beautiful child. 
and, uh, and going back to uh, the Old Testament, the same word is used. Um, this word, astion, which gets translated a couple different ways. But what it's pointing to is there's something exceptional about Moses. There's something different about him. Something beautiful, something that makes him not ordinary. And at three months old, his mother, Jochebed, knew that she could no longer hide this special child and keep him safe. And so she took a basket, covered it with tar so it would be watertight. And you could just imagine, imagine how she felt placing this child, her special child, in this basket and then moving it into the reeds. What was going to happen here? We know the name of Moses' mother it was Jochebed. And we know his sister, Miriam, who was watching this basket to see what would happen, what would unfold. And uh, in fact, the Pharaoh's daughter discovered this child. And we don't know if on purpose, uh, Miriam and Jochebed thought, well, this is where the, the Pharaoh's daughter bays or how, how all this worked out. But in any event, the Pharaoh's daughter discovered the child and wanted to help it to survive. She knew it was an Israelite baby, but... Um, she was enamored with the child. And Miriam ran up to her and said, would you like me to find someone to nurse this baby for you? And in those days, you can't just go out to the store and buy some formula. You've got to find a wet nurse. And, uh, and the Pharaoh's daughter said yes. And so guess who Miriam brought but Moses' own mother to nurse him. And so in this way, God provided not only milk for Moses, but also continuity with his people. He learned who he was. He knew that he came from the, the Israelites. And there's a huge disparity between Moses' role now as the adopted prince of Egypt and where the Israelites are at. Huge disparity. Moses had every privilege imaginable, every comfort imaginable. His lot was secure. Well, faith gives us courage to persevere when our eyes are on the right treasure. And if you think about what we can learn from this first part, this idea of courage, the courage of Moses' mother and father, of his uh, sister, Miriam, um, God calls us to be courageous in our circumstances, and the strength of that courage is the trust in the one who can transcend our circumstances. It doesn't mean that our the troubles of our circumstances go away, but trusting in God gives us the strength for the courage and what we know we should do, even though there are worldly things that are pulling the other way. So as we continue, um, Moses was picked out of, up out of water, and as you correctly answered, his name means water, and he's drawn out of water. And so the, that's what the uh, Pharaoh's daughter named him. And so uh, Pharaoh, or, uh, Moses continued to grow, and it says that uh, he was an exceptional child. What was exceptional about him? So he, was, he continued to be exceptional and I, I believe what's exceptional about Moses here is that he turned down the privileges of a prince of Egypt in order to suffer along with God's people. And so he saw Egypt as temporary, 
but Yahweh and the people of Yahweh as forever. So what does that mean for us who live in America? We live in a land of excess, a land of comfort, security, and convenience, or at least where they're a high priority, even if we don't have them. Moses had it all, but he gave it up, uh, and it says he gave it up for the sake of Christ. While Moses lived in Egypt, he lived as a foreigner. Sort of like Abraham. It says Abraham lived as a foreigner in a foreign land in a place that was, he was promised to receive, but he never did receive in his lifetime other than one cave, Cave Machpelah. And Moses lived, while he lived in Egypt, he lived there as a foreigner. I think the reason why Moses was willing to do this and what made him act that he desired, and this can be, Moses unveiled his deepest, I want to see your glory, see the trailing glory behind me. I'll show you the most glory that you can receive. That's what Moses wanted in his heart of hearts more than anything else. He treasured God. He treasured what he knew of Christ. Hebrews 11.26 explains that Moses considered the reproach for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Now, how could Moses know of Christ? How does Christ's name get pulled in here? Now, Christ means anointed one or Messiah. And Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22, that God would send a prophet like him at the appointed time. And we know that Moses experienced God face to face in some manner of speaking, that he saw the, as much of God's glory that he possibly could receive. And so we know that Moses knew that whatever he wrote down, that's not all Moses knew of God. Moses communed actively with God. God was his real treasure, his deepest treasure. He counted this reality to be his treasure and his reward. So like Abraham, Moses considered God's promises as he made his daily decision. And I think this is one of the most important things for us. Where is your treasure? Where's my treasure? What are we treasuring above all things? Is it the presence of God? Are we saying to God, show me your glory? I want to see you. I want to experience you in the, in the deepest way it's possible for me. I want to know the power of your resurrection of Christ. I want to know the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Show me your glory. Where is God calling us to be courageous? What is he calling us to treasure? Faith gives us courage to persevere when we have our eyes on the right treasure. Let's talk about perseverance. And I know some of you are thinking, not that one. I hate perseverance. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Isn't that an oxymoron? When Moses was 40 years old, he fled Egypt after killing one of the Egyptians who was beating an Israelite. And then Moses went from being a prince to a shepherd. That's a demotion, in case you didn't know. Um, so you put yourself in Moses' sandals for 40 years. He's a prince. He's highly respected. He has every comfort, sense of security. And then he flees Egypt. He goes to being a lowly shepherd. He had a comfortable bed in a palace. And instead, he's sleeping on the ground. Who wants to sign up for that at 40 years old? He, I mean, 40, you know, I, I'm over 40. And I know that somewhere around there, uh, the tent started feeling a little rougher uh, then than it did in my teens and 20s. Um, 
And then Moses is going to shepherd for 40 years. So he's going to be sleeping and living in those circumstances from his 40th birthday to his 80th birthday. Now, I know it may be a little rough to sleep on the tent on your 40th birthday, but around your 80th birthday, you've got to be going, you know, isn't there another way? Um, so this calls for endurance and perseverance. It calls for trusting the one who is unseen. And Moses did trust God during this time and his time in the desert, these times when it was difficult. When you've got to be thinking, you know, around 60 years old, was he thinking, you know, Egypt wasn't so bad, you know? And back then I was leading people, now I'm leading sheep. Back then I was sleeping in a bed, now I'm sleeping in a tent. You know, all those sorts of things that maybe run through his head. But Moses had his eyes on his treasure. He had acted courageously. And now for 40 years he had to persevere. Now think about this if you are going through something difficult right now. How long might God call you to persevere? Moses persevered for 40 years. That's four decades. I won't count the minutes. It's a long time. And if you are in a circumstance, a season, where things are difficult, it may take longer than you would ever desire to be in that place. And yet, during that entire time, God was perfecting Moses' character for the task that he would have at hand. Moses started out with God confidence, I mean, started out with self-confidence, and then he moved to a place of low esteem, almost no confidence. By the time he spoke, God spoke to him in the burning bush, Moses' confidence had been reduced to an ash heap, and he had to learn about God confidence. How might God use our difficult circumstances to show his glory in us. Might this difficult season be a time when God is calling us to trust him so that we will be calling us to persevere? Uh, by faith, the destroyer of the... You know that story? So this is um, what the, reader, the first readers of Hebrews would know very well, by heart, that this... 80-year-old Moses had this experience of a bush that was not burning up, and yet it was full of flames, where God spoke to him and said, you are going to be my representative to go into Egypt and set my people free. And so uh, after a few protests, Moses did go with his brother Aaron. They went to the land of Egypt, and there was plague after plague after plague that uh, because the Pharaoh would not let God's people go, the people of Egypt endured all these different plagues. And each plague, incidentally, was against one of the particular Egyptian gods. So this was taking place. Moses had to stand up to the power and might of Egypt. He did this as one who sees the unseen and perseveres. Specifically, he kept the first Passover. So this is at the 10th plague. Now imagine all these crazy plagues had taken, taken place. There's the plague of the flies, the plague of the hail, the plague of darkness, all these different plagues. So the, the people, if you're an Israelite, you're seeing all these things going on, like God is clearly at work here, and yet you've been thrashed by the Egyptians. Temporally, uh, in your life, there is a real fear of the Egyptians and what they might do to you. And yet you've got, it's almost feel like you're being squeezed in a vice here. Who are you going to be with, the people of God, or you're going to, you're going to kowtow to the Egyptians here? And 
in that cauldron, as, as all this is fomenting, we have a call to kill a lamb. Kill some lambs, take the blood, put it on the lintels of your doorposts of your household, and when the destroying angel passes over, the firstborn in your household will not die. I would imagine by this time, having seen all the other plagues, that the Israelites were probably trembling as they put that blood on their doorposts because this would be their salvation. What would happen if they didn't have the blood of the Lamb? And so if you were placing the blood of the lamb on your lintel of your doorpost, you were identifying with God, with Yahweh, and with his people. Well, you know where this is going. Just as there was a lamb caught in the thicket for Abraham, there was a substitution that took place there, pointing to Christ. Here, the Passover points to Christ as well. Look at all of, all of Christ that we see in the Old Testament. In this case, the blood of the lamb, the one true lamb, the lamb of God who is Jesus, is what is necessary for us to experience God's salvation. Not only salvation, but victory. God has good things in store for us, but it will not happen without us acknowledging what God did through Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And so if, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you know that you've experienced that salvation. This isn't just an emotion, it isn't just hype, it's not ritual. It is our life that we have experienced this salvation through the blood of the Lamb. And destruction passes over us. And God will lead us. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, blood of the Lamb. Point to uh, providence, number five. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And so the, the people uh, of Egypt let the people of Israel go, and then they sort of changed their mind. The army is pursuing uh, them, and there's a sea in front of them. There are Egyptians behind them. There's a presence of God with them. And uh, this, this seems like a spot where we really need God to do something, because if, if, we, if the Egyptians capture us, they're going to harm us. We can't go in the sea because we'll be drowned. We need God to provide. Now, I know that some of us are in that spot. We need God to show up. We need him to provide. We need him to lead us through difficult waters. And so God parted the sea. And we, we talk about the story all the time. But can you imagine walking through the sea with walls of water on either side of you? There had to be, I mean, I can't imagine what kind of emotions we'd be going through. Roaring waters around you. You walk through. And then the Egyptians try to walk through and follow, and they drown. This, by the way, is, um, in the New Testament, points to baptism. If you've been baptized as an adult, this is part of the symbolism. We come out of the waters of death into new life. God is leading us into the promised land. God is with us through the difficult waters of death, and brings us out into new life. So much symbolism here. But what we need to know is that God provides during times of difficulty. It isn't always what we think it should be or, or know it might look like, but we can trust God as a provider. Let's talk about victory. Uh, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell 
after the army had marched around for seven days. Let's see if you're still awake here. Is Moses there with them when they marched around the walls of Jericho? No? You think so? Wasn't he there? No. Okay, you guys are shaking your head. No. Okay, we'll go with no. Uh, Moses was not there with them at the walls of Jericho. This was after that time. So there was sort of a, a mirroring miracle where the, uh, the, the Israelites walked through the Jordan. God parted the waters of the Jordan. They went to Jericho. And can you imagine you, you've joined the, uh, the army of God's people and, and uh, here are your instructions. You're going to go to this walled city and march around it for seven days. On the seventh day, you're going to blow a trumpet and the walls will come down. Say, What? That, I mean, does, I mean, you know, this is a Bible story, but does, it, does that really make sense? Probably doesn't seem like it should, but that's exactly what happened. God brought them victory. Now, this is not the same generation of Israelites that walked through the Red Sea. That generation was deemed faithless. Their bodies fell in the desert over the course of 40 years, so this is the generation after them. And so just as God gave the first generation victory over the Egyptians, they walked through the waters, this generation has opportunity to seize victory by being faithful to, to before God and doing what he said to do. And indeed, the walls came down. If there is a place of victory in your life, maybe, maybe you have some walls that need to come down. Maybe there are some walls that are causing you some struggles. Pray that God will bring you victory. I know that it's way. It's like God over the long... All right, we are here at redemption. And of all people, we get the prostitute Rahab. So remember, this is start, still part of Moses' story, but if the first part was Moses' parents and their faithfulness, this is sort of like who comes after Moses in his story here. The, uh, maybe the spiritual heirs here. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So if you know the story, the, uh, the people of Israel actually sent some spies in, and Rahab actually welcomed them, them into her house, which was built into the city wall, and um, she harbored them because she believed in the God that they served. She had heard the stories, and somehow she had faith in God. And so she let these spies go. She, she showed them peace. And as a result, somehow, when the walls came down and the people in the city um, were destroyed, Rahab was not. Now, what's really cool about that story is not only did Rahab survive the destruction, have her name recorded in Hebrews 11 as a faithful servant of God, she also became a direct physical heir to the promises of Abraham. Rahab later married, anybody know who she married? Got to be one person. If you went fishing and you caught like a big fish, and then you, you know, like probably the fish most of us like to eat um, and put on the grill, what, what fish would that be? And I'll, I'll tell you, it's not a carp. It's not a muskie, it's not a pike, and it's not trout. Salmon. Good. So, well, she didn't marry a salmon, but that was his name, okay? <laughs> Rahab married salmon. Something to remember there. Um, so Rahab married salmon. The two of them had a child named Boaz. 
and who became Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. If you know that story, is recorded in the book of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. And so despite all seeming probability, this Canaanite, professionally a prostitute, became not only a believer in God's promises, but a physical link in the way those promises were received. And her name, or her life, was not defined by a sinful past or a culture that would never repent, her past profession. She was saved by her faith and her faithfulness, whereas Jericho, as a whole, suffered destruction and judgment. When the people of God visited Jericho, Rahab heard of God's promises to Abraham. She also heard of God's powerful salvation through Moses, the giving of the law, God's mercy and sacrifice. Unbelieving Canaanites suffered judgment as well as unbelieving Israelites whose bodies dropped in the desert over 40 years. You get that? Canaanites were destroyed, but it's also Israelites. Some of them passed away, and, and we all pass away at some point or another. But the unbelieving um, didn't experience the salvation that Rahab did, even by faith. The cross, angels filled the sky with good news, shepherds turned their eyes upon the little town of Bethlehem, where the great descendant, David, son of Jesse, of Ruth and Boaz, and yes, Salmon and Rahab the prostitute, lay bundled next to Joseph and Mary, lying in a manger. Isn't that cool? So, all of this, if Rahab can be saved, if Rahab can be saved, who cannot be saved? A person that other people would say, see, see, she, you know, she's whatever. She does whatever. She's not important. She's done things. And yet God said, no, that's not the way it works. Not in my house. The beautiful thing is not the thing that's been beautiful forever. The beautiful thing is that which has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so if you are ever thinking that you're not good enough or God can never be pleased with you or something you've done that can never be forgiven, think again. Because Rahab's name is intentionally recorded in the, na- in, the, in the genealogy of Jesus and these stories are told in order that we might know that God loves us beyond a shadow of doubt, no matter what we've done, whatever is in our past. Rahab turned, she repented, and she believed. And she became not only in the line of David, but the line of Jesus. So where is God calling us to be courageous? Why don't you guys repeat this with me? Let's do it. One, two, three. Where is God calling us to be courageous? How is he calling us to persevere? What is he calling us to treasure? Faith gives us courage to persevere when we have our eyes on the right treasure. The life of faith is the only life that pleases God. And the life of faith is sufficient for all things. Never be in a place where you realize your own sinfulness. 
where you have shame and fear and guilt over the past. Don't stay there. That's a good first step, actually, to know that you don't measure up. But if you stay there, it's an awful place to be. When God redeems, he redeems fully. And redeems not through our faithfulness. We believe and we trust in him. But we stand on the foundational on the foundation of the faithfulness of his son. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you that Moses is a faithful servant. He was a faithful servant over your house. But we know that Jesus is a faithful builder, that he was building this house, that he has prepared a place for us, that he is preparing us for that future when we will be with you. Through Jesus, we can have courage. Through Jesus, we persevere that you provide. And we can trust in you for Jesus' name. Amen.